everybody, Rachel Amaday here. It's been a while since I've done a video for anyone on Facebook or Instagram or anything. Um, life has been really busy and honestly, really challenging as of late. So I haven't been doing a lot of videos. I have on my Substack been doing um, some podcasts and some blogs for you all. So if you're interested in that, please join. I believe it's rachela.substack.com and it's free still. Um, I want people to join because we have conversations over there and it is free from any sort of algorithmic problem. <laughs> so if we're talking about some difficult things culturally, um, we're not going to get dinged over there for that discussion. And I think that's important because we need to be able to have free conversations with one another in order to dig into truth. What we've noticed is fact checkers and so-called truth tellers actually aren't experts in their field, and they've gotten a lot wrong for a long time. And so my goal in this series and with the book that's coming out here, um, going along with it, my goal in doing what I'm doing is just to pursue the truth. That's it. I just want people to have discussions about God and faith in the Bible that lead us to accurate understanding and greater wisdom, especially for those who actually love the Lord. This knowledge should provide a foundation for wise decision-making in our own lives and for an understanding of the times that we're in and how to be in them as believers. You know, I really believe we're called to be the light and light is supposed to glow and it's supposed to shine, but it's very easy to lose our light when we do not have wisdom and knowledge and understanding because we will have no testimony. So that's why I'm doing this. I have been so blessed to be able to learn so much over the years. I'm not a better person than anybody else. I'm not smarter. I'm not wiser. I haven't lived a better life. I just know that our call as believers is to teach people to obey and to teach people that understanding we're supposed to teach each other. This is just one route to doing that. And I want to have those discussions. So if you're joining me, thank you for being here. Um, today, I really want to talk about Passover. And I want to talk about celebrating God's days, his days that he gave us, that he set aside for us properly and how to be honoring of scripture and God and his ways. I think most Christians now are starting to come into some understanding because there's so much information out there that God has a system, that he has ways. And in some, in a lot of cases, we have lost those things um, basically due to a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, a lack of good teaching from our pulpits, all sorts of things. But because of our access into information, we have both a good and a bad coin side of the coin to that. Um, we are starting to come into some better, deeper understanding of scripture and what God is actually trying to do and trying to teach us. And that um, we have misinterpreted the law in a lot of ways. I think for a long time, especially Western Christianity thought that before Christ, the law was how you received salvation and that that's how people saw it, but that's not accurate. The law was never how you received salvation. God's law was always about relationship with him. It was never about salvation. And that's why people like David, you know, people like even the nation of Israel, um, during the Passover time, they were rescued and saved by God before they even received the physical version of the law from the Lord. They weren't saved because they were keeping all of his laws perfectly. They were saved because God loved them. 
And that's exactly the same situation we find ourselves in today. Salvation and law keeping are kind of two separate things. You are saved by grace through faith alone because of God's work in your life. You don't have the DNA to save yourself. You're not capable of cleaning yourself. And the process of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually show that, actually teach that principle, which we're going to talk about today. But you can't do it. Only God has the operating system necessary in order to access eternity. And we lost that operating system. When Adam and Eve fell, we lost a piece of us that kept us safe, actually, from the fire of the Lord. You know, I love Douglas Hamp at The Way Congregation talks about God throughout scripture says he is fire. He is going to burn you. If you were in his physical presence, if there wasn't a veil between heaven and earth right now, we would be toasted to a crisp. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had some sort of protective barrier. They were like God in more than just one way. They also had their own light, probably. They had their own fire, and that kept them from being burnt to a crisp in the presence of the Lord. And God, I mean, The heartbreaking thing is when we lost our light, when we lost that light and that fire, we automatically had to have separation from the Lord and how heartbreaking as our father that must have been for him to to see that now there's separation. We can't have that union that was both spiritual and physical because we don't have the necessary operating system to be able to survive his presence. So the law actually is given in order to bring people close to the Lord. It was a relief for them to have a route, to to have someone who could go into the Holy of Holies and be representative of the people before the Lord and to have a route to relationship with God without being completely torched. You know, so the law has always been about relationship. And that's why we need to teach it. We need to teach obedience because while salvation is grace and faith alone, obedience is relationship. And without understanding of the principles that God gave, we're missing out on pieces of the character of the one that we love. And we are a little bit missing parts of our relationship with God. So in that understanding, in that context, you know, again, when you see light, you're to be a light to the world and God wants to restore light to you. It makes a lot of sense because God wants to make you like him so that you can be in unified relationship with him. He is fire. He is light. So we are supposed to be like our father. And so in this understanding, I am excited every year this time of year to give you the basics about how to keep the days that God gave us for this time of year. They're called the spring feast days. Basically, um, they're God's moedim. That's the Hebrew word for what he calls his appointed times. And these are times that God gave us. When the Bible talks about these things in Exodus and Leviticus, it uses the Hebrew word olam. David later uses this word when he talks about God's laws. He says they are olam. They are forever is what Olam means. So Olam literally means forever. It means that these things are unchanging. They will never be done away with, that God intends for us to keep them. For as long, just like Jesus says in the New Testament, for as long as heaven and earth are in existence, 
Now, in the Bible, there's this principle that there's always two witnesses to anything to confirm that something is true. Jesus in the New Testament calls heaven and earth as the witnesses to testify to us that God's laws are still in existence. So as long as heaven and earth are still in existence, God's law is still in effect. Just like the natural laws weren't done away with at the cross, God's laws were not done away with at the cross. However, we do have to be careful in how to observe God's laws and what applies to us. So it, when you go to the Old Testament to study, if you're inspired by this, you're like, I'm going to go study all these things, and you start to get bogged down, let me give you a few quick pointers before we dig into today's topic. Number one, not all the laws apply to everybody at all times. There's a lot of laws just for priests. There's a lot of there's laws for women. There's laws for men. There's laws that are only for when you're in the land of Israel. There's laws you can only do if there's a Levitical priesthood and you're in the land and there's a temple. There's laws that you can only enact if there is God's judicial system happening on planet Earth through the Levitical priesthood and through the um, temple system. We can't do all of those, right? We don't live in the land of Israel, most of us. We don't have a Levitical priesthood. There is no temple. And there are plenty of things as well that the Bible's like, you can only do this with these conditions attached. So be careful as you're reading and studying. Not all the laws apply to you, nor should you try to enact them without those conditions. What's also a bit interesting about the laws of God is that they're not, um, the, the Bible, in fact, a lot of the Bible is not laid out linearly time-wise so or linearly um topic-wise. So you'll find information about the feast days in Exodus, and then later there'll be more information about the feast days that weren't given here, that are given here. Um, And so God's organization is different than ours in our Western minds. So a lot of times he'll give some information here and then he'll re, you know, you come back to the topic later with different or more information. And when you put those pieces together, you get the 3D version of what you're looking at. But they're in their locations in scripture for a reason, for topical reasons, for other reasons. Maybe the maybe it's dealing with what the priests do for these things at this point, what the people do for these things at this point. Okay. So you have to have kind of an analytical mind when you're reading through and understand that God's ways are a little different than our ways. And you just have to be humble, ready to learn. That's kind of the fun thing about it, though, because it makes it always interesting. And God knows that we as people, we like the challenge, right? If we're bored, forget it. We're, we're done. If it's boring, we don't want to do it. Whether it's school or a job or anything else, boredom becomes burdensome. But God keeps things fresh and interesting all the time. And that's why his word is so miraculous. And you can go to it and study and learn something totally new every time you read it. Okay, let's get into the basics about the holidays that are coming up. So in our home, we um, observe Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits during this time period. It's also the start of something called the Counting of the Omer, uh, which leads up to something called Shavuot, which is, is in the New Testament called Pentecost. But let's just do the basics of what's coming up here this next week. So interestingly, this year, Passover aligns with what a lot of Christians celebrate called Good Friday. They are both in some ways the same observation. They are observing the death of Christ and they are searching your heart, right? It is a humble time where you're grateful that God 
did what he did in order to give us access to eternity with him, in order to give us access to what we lost in the Garden of Eden, and in order to give us unity with him. And you're observing this incredible sacrifice that Yeshua did on the cross. And Passover and Good Friday are the same in that regard. However, um, there are lots of differences. So Good Friday was not instituted in scripture. It was instituted later on by, I believe, the Catholic Church. And they just decided they were going to do this thing called Good Friday instead of Passover. I don't think it's a good replacement, but at least we're observing the death of Christ. So at this time of year, if you had no plans to observe that, observe it. You're called to observe that what Christ did for you, and this is the time of year to do it. So um, with Passover, there is a meal involved, and you see Yeshua do this meal at the Last Supper. He's giving them the practice round because he knows that the next day he is going to be the Passover lamb, and he is going to show and fill full of meaning what they had been practicing for thousands of years from the Exodus out of Egypt, which was this institution of eating unleavened bread, which for them represented this time of quickly leaving Egypt. Now, Egypt for the nation of Israel represented trial. It represented sin. It represented death. It represented separation from God and separation from their destiny. And so they were able, they they were going to quickly make bread that couldn't rise so that they could eat it as they left death, which is such an incredible picture, right? And so at this meal, you're eating unleavened bread. Okay, for thousands of years. Then Yeshua comes along and he gives a whole new meaning to this unleavened bread. A lot of times we call it matzah bread. The matzah bread has these stripes, which always remind me of the stripes of that Christ endured from the beatings and the whippings that he received before he died. And so you have this picture of the stripes of his blood that was poured out on our behalf, this drink offering that was poured out on our behalf before the Lord. So there are, there's the matzah, so there's unleavened bread, there's bitter herbs, and the bitter herbs at this meal represent the bitterness of slavery. And you know, Paul talks about this concept, you are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. There isn't anything in the middle. If you do not love the one God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the universe, whether you've discovered him through reading scripture and being exposed in the Western world the way we have been, or whether people over time discovered him just looking at nature and understanding the principles of nature, which I believe really has happened for people. I believe there have been people throughout history who could not read. They did not have a Bible in their homes, but because God put himself in nature and his principles in nature and his principles in seeds and gardens, hence the parables are very agricultural. People have discovered this God through many means because God's a good father and he wants people to discover him. But if you have not loved that God, if that's not where your allegiance lies, like Job, you know, Job, before all, all the things we know now, before scripture, the way we know now, Job was a righteous man and he followed God. And so there was even probably oral tradition that they had. Job knew the principles of the God of the universe, even without the scripture that we have now. And he lived righteously. There's lots of people who've lived like that. So people have had the opportunity to choose this God. 
just even by natural observation, just looking at how a seed operates, you can understand the characters, the character of this God. And I'll do a teaching on that later because I think it's really important that we understand how God put himself into nature and put his character traits there and even into our bodies, which I talk about in my book, which is so fun. Um, So if you haven't chosen that God, you're enslaved to sin. There's only two options. After Adam and Eve, there was only two operating systems available. One was sin and death that you can't escape because you can't do enough good. There's nothing you can do. That's the point is obedience can't get you there. You could be a great human being. It's not enough because you have to have an operating system that gives you back your light. You need a force field in order to withstand the God of the universe. You just can't, you can't get there with obedience. The law can't give you that. It was just lost. It was lost with Adam and Eve. And I think we discover this as we get older and we're like, I think I'm a good person, but I've made a lot of mistakes and I I don't feel like I can do this alone and I feel like I need something bigger than me and I'm not always trustworthy. I can't be God. I can't be the God of my own life all the time. I mess up too much for that. I can't see how everything in the world is working. I can't see the future. So there's a lot of issues here with me just doing this on my own, you know, and if you haven't discovered that about yourself yet, I would request that you take a take an hour <laughs> this week and sit down and analyze are you really capable of being a God? And are you really, um, and, and are you really li- interested in living a life where you don't think there's a future that matters, that what you do here matters? Doesn't it change what we do when we think this place matters? Okay, back to Passover. Okay, so you're either enslaved to sin or you're enslaved to Christ. And Christ says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's because he makes you light. He makes you like him. You're going to glow. When you accept him, you become the fire and the light that you're intended to be. You start that process. So it's much easier to become what you're destined to become than to continue down a path of death. Um, Even though it's actually kind of (laughs) harder, but it frees you. You're free. And there is an ability to leave sin and death behind you, which I promise you right now in my life is one of the most important times for me to be able to say that. Because life is hard and it's not perfect and it's challenging. So we need that. So in the Passover, we have the bitter herbs that represent the bitterness of slavery. Both slavery that the Israelite community experienced in Egypt and slavery to sin. Right? But then there's other pieces of the meal that have been added over time that have this wonderful, um, deep meaning you know and in exodus they they god asked them to slaughter a lamb and they had to eat all of it before they left so they had to share it if they needed to whatever and the blood was put on the doorposts now this is really interesting so in egypt they believed if you put their name of the gods on your doorposts it would protect your house from an evil spirit being able to enter so that god on the doorframe would be your protection So we see through the plagues of Egypt, the God of the Bible is taking down all of the Egyptian gods, you know, the, the frog God and the Nile God. And I mean, he's just taking them down one by one, but even the blood on the doorpost, which really gives you this picture of Christ's blood on the cross, but it was also flying in the face of the Egyptian concept that the God on your doorpost would save you. 
Because see, that night, the only people who were saved were the ones who had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on their doorposts. All the Egyptian gods that were carved into the doorframes of the Egyptians did not rescue them from the angel of death. And so now, you know, we don't really eat lamb for Passover now because we believe Yeshua is our Passover lamb, that that piece we're really not supposed to literally do. If you're looking to observe Passover you are not supposed to be sacrificing a lamb, just so you understand this. We do not have a temple to do this in. We don't have a priesthood to deal with it properly. And we are not in the land of Israel. So if you're in the United States of America listening to me right now and you want to do Passover, do not sacrifice a lamb. Do not do anything with blood. That is prohibited. Um, we don't want to be, hold on just a second. We don't want to be outside of God's will as we're trying to observe this. And that would be outside of what the Bible allows for. But what we do observe is the fact that Yeshua died for us and he filled full of meaning that concept of a Passover lamb, that he is now on the doorpost of our hearts and he is the one who rescues us from death. And this concept, we could meditate on that for hours, right? We could meditate on what Christ has done for us for hours. And I would encourage you this week to do this. One part that comes after Passover is Passover is the first day of a celebration called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is a seven-day time period where you don't eat leaven. And the leaven represents sin. And so what we're doing right now is we're in the process of getting rid of all the leaven from our homes. So again, anything that makes something rise, whether it's baking soda or baking powder or yeast or whipped eggs, we're not going to do that. You know, anything for us, what it means is anything that makes the bread rise. Obviously, they ate bread. They just ate flat bread. It didn't have time to rise. They ate matzah. So that's how we observe it. We try to do it just like the Bible describes, but we're getting rid of it from our house. And what the concept that's in that is that you'll never get rid of every crumb of leaven in your house. It's impossible to do. But as you're doing this process, you're supposed to be thinking about the sins in your life that Christ has forgiven and how you want to turn from those and turn back to him. And so it's a physical action. It's a physical process that imbues you with the understanding of a spiritual process that as you do this and as you practice this, you realize only God, only God could get the yeast out right? And even in a piece of bread, once it's mixed in and baked, how you're not going to get it back out. You're not going to be able to separate it out again. And so there's this really beautiful symbolism in that process. And in thinking about it every day as you clean out your house, um, what Christ really did for you. He did something that you couldn't do on your own that was impossible for you to do. So I encourage people to do this. Now, in the time of, and people debate how to do this, but I really believe the Bible basically says that there's a day called the Feast of First Fruits, and it's the first day of the week after Passover. That's the celebratory time. Well, the first day of the week, historically, through all of human history that we've observed, really, through most of the cultures, we've had a seven-day week, and it starts with Sunday. So that means that we are supposed to be celebrating something called the Feast of First Fruits Sunday after Passover. That would be this upcoming Sunday. And of course, the Feast of First Fruits is what Paul tells us. Christ is the first fruits of a new line. He is the first of a new group of people 
that have access to this operating system to be able to personally come close to the Lord because the law of God, according to Jeremiah 31, is written in our hearts and in our flesh. It changes location. So we become unified with God and his ways so that we can come near to him and have relationship with him. And of course, to me, this, this is encouraging for more obedience, not less, for more interest in God's laws, not less, because it's supposed to be becoming part of our being. We're supposed to become like God in his faithfulness to the law. And we can only do this with the DNA of Christ, but that Christ wants us to understand these things and to be preparing for a future with him, but to also understand these principles so that we can teach them to others because they become a testimony of our faith. So I want you to go read scripture, um, you know, do some of your own research. Some of you love that. Some of you are researchers and some of you are not. But this time, maybe this year is the year where you understand that God has Moedim, appointed times that he has said are forever signs between the people that are his people and the people that are not. When you observe these things, you are automatically different than the culture. If you observe something called Passover, I'm telling you, there's no, you know, Walmart celebration for something called Passover going on out there. There's no cultural celebrations. There's no big banners that are not on churches saying, come celebrate Passover with us this weekend. They all say Easter, right? And they're all about eggs and bunnies. But God has given us direction that is unique and separate, which is what the word holy means. Holy means separate. God has plucked us out of culture and wants us to look different. And if we observe his things, we look different through most cultures in all of history, which is really interesting. His things are holy. They are set apart. Just like he says, my people will be holy. They will be unique. They'll be peculiar is actually a word that scripture uses. And so if you do this this year, just remember God wants to teach you who he is and what he's doing throughout history through these observances. And it's out of love. It's for relationship. It's not because you're earning anything. You can't earn salvation through this. This would be just because you love God. And so I hope this has encouraged you this time of year as we do observe Christ's death and resurrection, Feast of First Fruits, right? The resurrected to new life, new line of humans. Um, I hope I hope you're encouraged to not approach the Bible through a fear of studying what God did at the beginning. In fact, I want to encourage you to study what God did at the beginning because we're told in scripture, God tells us the end from the beginning. If you understand the beginning, you understand his ideal, which means you can understand what he wants in the end. What he wants in the end is unity with his people. The law was a route for that sort of relationship. And in it, we can learn so many principles on how to have deep abiding relationship with the God of the universe, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I hope this has been encouraging to you, no matter where you stand on all of this. Hopefully this has helped you add a little more to what you're about to observe this weekend and this next week, and maybe given you some things to consider. Um, maybe go study Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, find where these things exist, and find why they were so important 
And why did God want to teach us from the beginning, from the Exodus in the Old Testament, these principles and how they prove that Yeshua is the Messiah? Um, I'm Rachel Amaday. Thanks for watching. If you watched, thanks for listening. If you listened, uh, I will be back next week with all sorts of interesting topics. I am super excited to share with you all.